Linda did a, a great job in, in talking about uh, what we experienced this morning in the uh, gifts. I want you to understand, if you're new to Church of Briargate, we are a Pentecostal church that believes in utilizing the gifts that the Holy Spirit has, and it gives to us freely, and sometimes it's a word from God, sometimes it's tongues with interpretation and many different gifts out there that we utilize from the Holy Spirit. So it's not an odd thing, it's all scriptural. Uh, you got any questions about it, seek out uh, myself or uh, any of the pastoral staff. I am Pastor Rick, I am not, uh, if you're new here, I am not the lead pastor. He is on his way back from uh, India, he had to spend the night in Houston. He would much rather be here with you all, because this is what he is passionate about, this is what he loves, and I'm sure he is he's just uh, very... Uh, unhappy that he couldn't be here this morning. He will be back on Wednesday, but appreciate you being here. How many noticed our landscaping that we've been doing over here? It is, for the most part, complete. Uh, we're supposed to have a strip of sod that was, laid, was supposed to be laid, but got too late in the year. Uh, they'll come back out in the spring and finish that. So it's still, uh, to me, it's looking amazing. It looks as good without the snow on it as it does with the snow on it. They're going to come out and lay some sod in the spring, do a couple other things. Uh, just excited about that. It actually cost us a little over $2,000 less than it was quoted to us. So that is awesome that uh, we were able to save that money, but we just need to continue to give to the building program because I tell you, I'm looking forward to this being the back of the sanctuary and the front of the sanctuary being out there here in uh, hopefully by next year. So... Excited about that. Uh, men, there's, I want to encourage you. That wasn't part of our announcements, but uh, the men's rally, and also it's going to be follow up uh, later in the year with the retreat. We're going to have Victor Marks. If you don't know who Victor Marks is, Google him. Uh, he is an amazing man, former Special Forces. He is uh, just uh, got various ministries. He doesn't just focus on one ministry, he's got various. I had the opportunity to meet him, engage with him when I was uh, on active duty stationed at Fort Carson. Uh, Fort Carson, not the chapel program, but the general brought Victor Marks on for a week to talk with soldiers and, and help them be more resilient in their life. And it's pretty awesome when a two-star general bring a Christian man in because he has a word that can motivate soldiers of any faith and take and, and do some amazing things. Some of the things that Victor Marks does is uh, rescue people from sex trafficking and, and just a list of other things. So men, there are cards that you can grab to pass out to invite people. What I encourage you to do is take, and right now there's, uh, you can get tickets for $20. They'll go up to 25 after the 20th of December. But go buy an extra ticket and invite somebody who's not saved uh, one of your neighbors and whatnot, and bring them with you. Uh, instead of them, expecting them to buy the ticket, buy it for them. Bring them with you. You will not be disappointed. I have heard quite often Didi whining that she does not get to be here to see Victor Marks. Sorry, ladies. Uh, well, there's many things you've done recently that we been, have not been able to be a part of. So uh, this time we get Victor Marks. So there you go. Um. The other thing that I want to mention is in January 7th, we're going to go to three services. 
We need to go to it. We just, uh, we don't have the space. I know you look around and say, but there's a lot of empty seats. Well, the problem is, is that in American churches, unfortunately, we don't squeeze people in. We, we're comfortable having our space. We need our purses in one seat and whatever. Um, but uh, we, we've hit the mark, and then we're not growing, and we need to have more space. And there are new people coming in all the time. And this, on the first service, we had two new families. Uh, and I'm not just talking about couples. These were, these were families with uh, little to teenage kids. So it's an awesome thing. So three services in, in uh, January 7th. Now for the most important thing that happened this weekend, Army beat Navy. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Art. I'm the other team. <laughs> well... You know, this would, this would be more effective if Pastor was here because he's, uh, he's former Navy. But uh, I don't get to, I'll have to take and rub it in tomorrow when, in our staff meeting. Uh, if I wasn't preaching, I'd probably be up here in my Army jersey just to emphasize the point that, once again, on the one-yard line, Navy couldn't do it. <laughs> and when, the more important thing is, for those who are Air Force, thank you for the Commander's Cup. Um, <laughs> Get that thing on a bird out to West Point immediately. Anyway, um, recently I was looking through some messages on one of our our social media, and somebody made a comment about the church needs to take and not talk about politics. Um, I am not one that has been necessarily talked about politics much in my life because 38 years of my life was spent in the Army that had regulations that says I need to be apolitical. So I'm trying to learn and get my voice on that. Understand the Church of Briargate is not going to be apologetic about talking about politics. Because the reality is, is not, we're not talking about politics. We're talking about biblical points. We're talking about moral issues that impact the church. When we deal with the political side of the house, if we don't engage in that side of the house, we lose out. Because the fact of the matter is what they want to do is take away our rights and our freedoms to gather together to worship, all right? And when people talk about separation of church and state, there's nowhere written in the Constitution or anywhere separation of church and state. It talks about the fact that there will be nothing put on laws that hinders the church. The reality is it's not about the church not being separated from politics. It's about the politics not impacting the church. We need to be out there impacting our world. Being involved in politics is a moral issue, is a biblical issue. So understand that Church of Briargate is going to be engaged in that, not because there's politics that need to be engaged in, but because there's moral issues. There's biblical issues that if we're not taking and teaching and, and guiding the body of Christ, there's people out there that want to shut us down. They want to control what is said from the pulpit. And so we need to be engaged, involved in that. So that's my political speech. That pastor normally would have something to say. But I, I just want to say that we're not going to be apologizing for those things. It is a biblical message, and that's what's important. As I mentioned, I spent 38 years in the Army. The last 30 of that was as a chaplain. And I will tell you, I often tell people that my faith is more rounded. 
It's, that doesn't make it bad. It just means that I have a greater grasp of various things because I think there's some things in the liturgical side of the house that are impactful and they have impacted my life. The challenge is, is in many of the liturgical churches, they have become very religious in those aspects of it. And I see it in a different aspect as a very spiritual aspect of it. And one of the first things that impacted me from a liturgical brother is when I was going through my officer basic course to become an army chaplain, I took and uh, was sitting in a chapel because we did chapel every day, and a different chaplain ran. It was a Protestant service, and a different chaplain ran that Protestant chapel. And one day, there was a liturgical brother that ran it, and he decided that we should serve communion. And for me growing up, I grew up under my dad, my grandfather, who were pastors and many other pastors. And, and coming from the Assembly of God is what we call low church. We don't have much liturgy, if any at all. And often when it came to communion, they had everything that was set up. And unlike we have it up, they'd have it up front oftentimes, so it's right front and center. And we are going to celebrate communion. Um, and they'd preach a sermon, and they'd go through the service, and then they dismiss, and then they look down and realize, oh, I forgot about communion. It was a side note. And that always bothered me, but, you know, it was what it was. So I'm sitting in that chapel, and the first impact that I had was this chaplain had us, as we passed the elements from one to the other, say, Christ's body broken for you, Christ's blood shed for you. And that, at that moment, communion became more real in my life than ever before. I mean, I was, uh, it was 1994, um, so I think late 20s, early 30s is the time frame so I had grown up in the church, and communion had never been so impactful in my life. But that moment, it kind of broke me as I had the reality of what those elements really meant. And you'd think, well, you grew up in the church, they should. But if the emphasis wasn't there, then it didn't have the impact. Amen. And communion should be an impact. And so that was my first experience. And then I come on active duty, and my next experience was something I struggled with another, t another part of my life was dealing with Christmas. I always felt there was a rush up to Christmas Day. There's nothing in preparation. There was nothing to take and prepare for Christmas. And it was a rush. And I got bothered by the commercialism, as we call it, right? How many are bothered by the commercialism of Christmas, right? Well, being impacted by various Protestant denominations, I learned that there was those who had what they called the Advent wreath. And it was a big wreath that sat up front, had four candles for each week of Advent. The first week of Advent for this year started last Sunday. And then a center candle, a big white candle, we called the Christ candle. And as I began to explore this, we'd often have a devotion out to hand it out to the people at the beginning of Advent. And as I began to explore this, I found a deeper spiritual sense for Christmas for me that took and changed the way Christmas is. It slowed it down for me. It took the emphasis off the gifts and the commercialism and rushing up to Christmas Day and put it into a perspective of an expectation. But as I explored this more, I went from the expectation of a baby being born, of celebrating the birth of Christ, 
to a deeper meaning of Advent, and that is looking for the second coming of Christ. And so Dee Dee and I have created our own family tradition. We have our own Advent wreath that we have on our table that we have dinner at each night. And we have the candles there. And each night we have this book, an Advent story. We found these Advent stories. If anybody's interested, they can ask me about it. Uh, that this gentleman wrote that tells the Advent story from, uh, three, from four different children's perspective who essentially were assumed to be part of that Christmas story way back when Christ was born. And it's really cool stories, and we rotate through each book each year, a different book each year, and at the end of this has a deep devotional that we take and read. And so after dinner each night, we take and, and read this and let Christ impact us differently. Why do I talk about that? Because we are in that Advent season, and it's important to understand what we're waiting for, what we're expecting, and the, what the focus should be, and how that should impact our lives, and how we should live our life as we go and we are waiting for Christ's return. And we're going to look at Matthew chapter 25 today, but when we look at the full context of Matthew chapter 25, we've got to go back to chapter 24. When Jesus had made a comment and the disciples go to him privately and say, explain to us what you're talking about. Explain to us what you're talking about. And 24 goes through various different parables of what it's going to be like and gives us clues and hints of what they'll be looking at. And I will tell you, we need to realize that I believe we're in the last days. We're in that time when Christ can come back any time. And Matthew 25 takes on that theme and continues it. And I want us to look at that. There's two major sections in Matthew 25 that I want to look at in here. One is dealing with the story of the, of the ten virgins, and the other is dealing with the three servants. Each have a point and a purpose for us today. So let's get into this. Matthew 25, beginning in verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps, went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take a long extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. How many of us are a little bit tired of waiting? Right? We have heard all our life, Christ is coming back, Christ is coming back, Christ is coming back. It's like, would he just come back? And here these virgins are the same way. They've gotten all ready. They've prepared, or at least half of them have properly prepared for the bridegroom, and they're waiting and waiting. They get tired of waiting and they fall asleep. The problem is, for some of us, is we've gotten tired of waiting and we've become spiritually asleep. We have gotten, we've heard it so long and so much that we're just weary and we're just done and so we have stopped doing what we need to do. Stopped engaging in our spiritual life and making sure our oil is ready 
and we have extra oil, and we have begun to fall asleep spiritually. And the bridegroom is going to come, and we're not going to be ready for it. And we're going to say, oh, just went in. Let me get ready. There's not going to be the time to get ready. We got to take and make sure we're staying awake. At midnight, they were roused by the shout, look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then five foolish ones asked the others, please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to the shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they're gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. We have to stay spiritually awake. We have to continue to feed our spirit, to be engaged in our walk with Christ, to be in the word so that we're ready for when that bridegroom comes. That even when we're tired, we already have what we need. And when the trumpet blows and the Christ comes back, we're ready to go. It's not going to be a time to wait. It's not going to be, hey, let me get my house in order. Hey, let me get my stuff together. Hey, let me do. It's going to happen. And we're going to, there's some of us going to say, but, but I knew. The problem is, is that word knew. Do you know Christ now? Not just knew him before. Do you know Christ now? Later, when the five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door, door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch, for you don't know the day or the hour of my return. Sometimes that's a challenge for us not to know. But it's always about being prepared. When I joined the Army National Guard at 17 years old, I understood that my role wasn't just on the weekend, that I always had to be prepared. At a moment, they could call up. In 1991, in the first Gulf War, they told, our, told us, pack your bags, be ready to go. I made sure that that moment, if they called, I was ready to go. Ready to take and do what I've been asked to do. I was always on the ready. It's part of who God created me to be because when he called me in to be a chaplain, I understood that part of my role. Do you understand your role as a Christian? is to be ready, is to have yourself at all times ready to go. It doesn't matter how long Christ may tarry. The point of tarrying is to give you opportunity to talk and witness to people because he doesn't want anybody to perish. Yeah, it would be great. How many enjoying the craziness of this world? Anybody? No? I don't imagine why. Sometimes... I will tell you I'm more jealous of those who pass away as a Christian because they don't have to deal with this garbage of this world. But that doesn't mean I, I don't make sure that I'm ready and prepared. It's about hiding the word of God in your heart. Those who went to Vietnam had no clue that they might become POWs and those who become POWs because of what was hidden in their heart, they survived because they could memorize, they had scripture memorized and they could tap it out to one another. 
There may be a day that you don't have an electronic Bible or a hard copy Bible in your hand and you're going to need to have things hit in your heart so you can get through what God is allowing to put you through. We got to be ready. There's those here that we could classify them as preppers. You know what a prepper is, right? It's those who take and make sure they have all the foods and stuff ready to go and they have a go bag. A go bag is a supply of clothes and other things that will keep them going for several days or a week. Are you doing the same prepping for your spiritual walk? Even more so, you should be doing that preparation for your spiritual so that you can survive if you find yourself without a Bible and just holding on. Don't be one of the five foolish virgins who took and was not prepared. Stay alert, stay watching, stay prepared, ready for what when God, Christ comes back. Verse 14. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. Now, it's not so... Directed here, but when you look at the story in Matthew, in Luke, excuse me, Luke chapter 19, it is very directive what he told the servants. He was directed to them. He said, invest the money. Oftentimes we look at this and say, well, maybe it wasn't so clear. Maybe he wasn't very specific on what he expected of them to do with what he gave them. But we see in Luke, he was very directive. He said, invest the money. Now, that word invest means to occupy or to, is a business term, to take and engage with that money, to take and do something with it. So it was very directive. Here in Matthew, it doesn't seem so directive, but it was. So they had no excuse. My point is, they had no excuse. They knew what there was expected of them. They, had, they knew what the expectation was, is to be engaged, to be involved, and doing something with what he gave them. Verse 19, after a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they used his money. There you can see right now, if he's coming and saying, how did you use your mon my money? He wants to know that they did something. The servant to whom he entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I've earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now we'll give you more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I've earned two more. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. 
So now I'll give you more, many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant, gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. I want you to look at what he said next here, because it's important to understand. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Notice that he was more upset that he did nothing. I, th- I get the impression he would have rather him done something and not got anything from it than just bury it. Even possibly lose money, at least he was trying, he was engaged in his world. But he called him lazy. He says, I've given you gifts, I've given you talents, I've given you something to do, and you did not do anything. You're lazy. It's an important piece to understand. We see in the rest of it, he ordered them to take the money away from him and give it to the one that already had some. Then he ordered to take the money from his servant and give it to the one who with 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Like I said before, it was directive what they were supposed to do. In Luke 19, it says, before he left, he told his servants to invest. You'll see also in, in other translations that term occupy. What it means is be engaged and involved. God has given each of us gifts and talents and abilities. The question is, what are you doing with those things? Are you using them for God's glory? Are you using them to impact your world around you for Him? Or are you just sitting on it because you're too afraid to be involved in the world? Because what if I fail? I will tell you as a leader in the army, I was always happy that there was somebody who came and they were motivated and they were just out there trying to do. I'd rather pull somebody back than have to kick them in the rear to get them going. God would rather take and hold you back than because you're just going out there willy-nilly than he would have to push you out. He wants you to be engaged in what he's given you to do. He hasn't given you something thinking that, well, they don't have the abilities. He's given you those abilities. Maybe it isn't something you've ever done before. There's many things I've never done that I have taken and tried out of need of necessity. One time, I had a rotted out 10-foot section of rim joists. If you know what a rim joist is, it's what keeps your house from falling over. Keeps those joists nice and square. And a 10-foot section rotted out. Never, never done it before. I saw, saw it being done on like HGTV or DIY once, so I knew it could be done. So why not? So I'm looking. I wasn't figuring it out. 
I didn't have time to find a contractor, nor the funds to be able to hire a contractor to fix that piece at the time. So I figured it out. I let God guide me, and our house is still standing today. Maybe it's something you've never done. It doesn't matter if God said do it, do it. Don't be afraid of it. Don't hide. The wicked, lazy servant hid because he was afraid. God gave you the gifts and the talents. He said, go and do. The term occupy, the Greek word for it is, is about doing business, engaging in business, to occupy, to be involved in the world. I've got a couple pictures for you. This picture here is some of my soldiers were out on a patrol in Iraq in 2004. And we had some toys and soccer balls and whatnot sent to us from the States. And so when we went on patrol, we often took some of that stuff with us. And we engaged in the community. Occupy is a military term. It's about being engaged with the community. It's not just a, we didn't just go over there to, to just kill things and blow things up. We went there to engage with the community. And so what you see here is some of my soldiers handing out some toys and gifts and whatnot to some of the Iraqi children. They're engaged in the community because what we found is if we're engaged in the community, we keep the insurgents out. See, the insurgents would kind of come and influence the people and get them on their side and and just cause their life to be miserable after that. So if we engage instead, the insurgents stayed out. I've got another picture for you. This here is of soldiers who went to a school in Mukadaya. Some of my soldiers and I went to a school. We had gotten school supplies, papers, pencils, and a whole lot of other things for school children to have. And we went to the school in Mukadaya and handed all these out. I mean, it was a dump truck load of stuff. I don't have the picture with me here, but I have a picture of guys inside the dump truck handing huge boxes out to other soldiers to pass down so it could be passed out. Again, it's about occupying the space in order to keep the insurgents out. Our problem is, is that we don't occupy our space as Christians. We are not engaged in our community. We are much like the Marines of Fallujah. If there are Marines here, bear with me. <laughs> in 2004, my unit went to do the assault on Fallujah, the second battle of Fallujah in November 2004. One of my soldiers is the only living Iraqi Medal of Honor recipient out of that battle. He came out of that battle. I had the opportunity to go to uh, the White House and watch him uh, be awarded the Medal of Honor. When we went over there, we got there, and as soldiers do, they began to engage with the Marines, and the Marines engaged with them and said, Ben, going to talk about comparing notes about each sector. And the Marines asked my soldiers, so what do you do in your sector? We said, we patrol our towns. We're occupying the space that we were given to, to protect, to fight against the insurgents. We were engaged in our towns and villages throughout our sector. 
And that's what we told them. They go, wow, we haven't been in Fallujah for three months. They weren't occupying their space. And so what happened is insurgents came in. They took the barriers we put in to protect people, now turned them in their own defense. They had laid roads with landmines and various other different IEDs and things of this sort. They have done tunnels from one structure to another structure. They had put their aid station in one of the places that's supposed to be protected and we were supposed to hit. In that place, they had special forces from Jordan and Syria and other, other places that we found ID cards and we even captured. I have pictures of me with some of the insurgents that we captured. The problem was the Marines were not occupying their space. They had taken and stepped out of the space and the enemy had come in and infiltrated. The problem for us as Christians is we're not occupying our space. Part of being involved in politics is about occupying the space. They whine about Christian influence in politics. We should be taking and having that great of an issue about the, the evil that they're trying to push into the politics. We should be influencing our areas. And because the Marines wasn't influencing their areas, the insurgents came in, and now we have to have a whole on assault of Fallujah. With several Army units and several large Marine units. And the, the thing that the order came out was that we're supposed to have 80% casualty rate. 80% of our, our forces were supposed to go down. I'm thankful for a commander who was a very tactical man. I'd follow that man into combat any day. Someday I'm hoping he finds Christ. But as a combat commander, he was amazing. Amazing man. And he protected and we reduced that. But we occupied our space. We made sure the enemy knew we were coming, we were there, and we were not leaving until they were out. We need to let Satan know we're here, we're involved, we're engaged, and we're not leaving and we're taking him out. We need to be occupying our space. This story about the three servants is about being engaged in our life and our world. God has told us invest. To occupy our space. To invest in the church. To invest in our world. To invest in our neighborhood. If there's things going on in your world, how much are you invested in it? Are you allowing the insurgents in? Satan and all his demons to come in. Are you engaged in this world? Are you one of the wise servants who are fully invested, who take the talents God has given you and engaged in it? I will tell you, we need you. If you're not engaged in something in this church, we need you. We need greeters. We need ushers. We need people on the safety team, baristas, nursery workers. I need people to help me take and keep this place from falling down. Maybe you're not one that wants to deal with kids, so I got construction stuff we can do. There's things, you just got to come talk to me. Say, my gifts and talents are in here. Great, let's put you to work. Men, don't be afraid of the nursery. You will not take and die if you have to change a diaper. <laughs> I might, but you won't. 
My wife and I always had an agreement. I fed them, she changed them. Because she, she couldn't handle the food and I couldn't handle the other end. So, Kids need those male impact in their life. There are many kids that don't have a father and to have a man engaged in the nursery or engaged in the preschool or engaged in children's church, they need that. They need that strong Christian man to be an influence in their life. If you don't know how to make coffee, we'll start you out the cash register and work you up. But I bet you make a pretty good coffee for yourself, so I'm sure you can make a pretty good coffee for any of us. It doesn't matter the size. It didn't matter the size of the gift that this ruler gave these servants. What mattered was them engaging in what he gave them. It doesn't matter what God has asked you to do, if it's big or small. Your responsibility is to utilize those gifts for what God has asked you to do. It's about being engaged in that. We all have gifts and talents. We have those things. Or we have that ability to develop the thing within us. If God told you to do it, do it. Figure it out or have somebody come alongside you to help you figure it out. But be engaged. Don't hide that talent. The Christian faith is about action. You are to be a soldier in the army of God, and this soldier is in action. There is not one soldier who is not doing something when they're downrange or when they're in garrison. It doesn't matter. They're doing something. There's always a job to do. There's something for you to do, and you need to be engaged in it, not hiding the, the talent you were given. And Jesus said, occupy till he comes back. The way you keep from falling spiritual sleep is you're engaged in your walk with Christ, and you're engaged in that world around you, you're occupying the space. You're telling people about Christ. There's some great opportunities. Take some cards that have the, uh, the Christmas Eve service on it. Go share it with somebody. There's plenty of people out there that they are what we call Christmas and Easter Christians. If you go share that card, maybe they'll become something more than a Christian in at Christmas and Easter Christian. Take them. If we run out, we'll make more. Share them with people. Let them know. Man, there are cards out there about the rally. Brandon, raise your hand. Brandon, over here. He's our men's ministry director. If you want to know more about that, you want to know where those cards are, go, go hit them up. Take those cards out there, men. I believe we have new cards for telling about the service. There's various things out there that you can help you engage in your world and occupy the space. Because the more you're engaged and the more you're occupying, the more insurgent of Satan stays out of the area. Some of you need to take and be occupied in the political sense. You say, but I'm not good at it. That's all right. There's many in Congress who are not good at what they do. <laughs> I'm going to list some names for you, but I won't. I did on first service. <laughs> you know who they are. And you have the power of God behind you that can educate you and make you more powerful. You're not dependent upon your own self. 
in your own power. Pastor's not engaged up in the, in the house because he wants to be. He's engaged in the house because God said go. And he's making a difference. Some of you may think, well, what difference is he making? The bills are still being passed. You don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Talk to him about it. He'll tell you how it's impacting lives up there. Changing things. You'll see the impact when there's a vote. And some of the Democrats vote with the Republicans. That's the impact. Being engaged in your world and occupying keeps you from spiritually falling asleep and keeps you engaged in your walk with Christ so you're ready for him to come back again. Some of you, the problem is you're waiting for that sign from God. I was watching a video of a, a man I've watched a number of times. He has some profound things to say in a short few seconds on his stuff. And he was talking about how he and his wife were driving around doing errands, and his wife says, let's go to Krispy Kreme. How many men would turn that car around immediately and go, get to Krispy Kreme as fast as possible when your wife says, let's go? I'm probably one of the few because going to Krispy Kreme is not good for me. Not for my health. It's for Dee Dee's health. She can't eat it, and if she does, it goes bad. I'd find her to the other place, so I've got a donut place for her. Nonetheless, so they turn around, they go to Krispy Kremes. And he gets there. And you know, Krispy Kremes, they have that sign out front, right? That neon sign that says hot, fresh donuts. And when they have hot, fresh donuts, the sign's on. He pulls up and the sign's off. And he's devastated. And he's gone, I'm not going in. There's not fresh donuts. And the wife says, I don't care what you're doing. I'm going in. I'm getting something. And he finally relunks and goes in. And he sees that the conveyor belt is moving with fresh donuts on it. That glistening glaze on it going along and he's filled with rejoicing. Because he didn't depend upon a sign to move out. Some of you are waiting for a sign from God and God's giving you a sign. He's giving you the word. It says be engaged. It says go into all nations. That's your sign. You don't need another sign. You just need to do there is yet, I have yet to find somebody that truly does not know what God wants them to do. When I sit down with somebody and they go, I don't know what God wants me to do. I said, really? You sure about that? And we begin to press upon and they have. God has spoken to them. The problem is, is they don't want to do what God asked them to do. God's spoken to you. He's told you what he wants you to do. Your problem is, is not that you need a sign. It's you just need a kick in the rear. To get you moving and going. Because he's already told you what to do. You may not like it. You may not want to do it. But that's not what God cares about. God cares about your motivation. And about your obedience to him to go out and do. Don't need a big neon sign. Just to be engaged. We have to have our lives engaged in Christ. So that we're prepared when the bridegroom comes. Whenever he comes. The reason he's holding back is so that we can touch our world. Instead, some of us have pulled out of our world. We go in our homes and we lock the doors and we don't engage in our neighborhoods. We don't even know who our neighbors are. We're not even praying for them. And Satan is starting to take a stronghold in your neighborhood. Not engaged in the church. 
And so people are not being touched because you're not doing what you need to do. When you're engaged and investing, you don't have to worry about, am I going to have enough oil? You'll have enough oil because you're always producing within yourself because you're engaged in your walk with Christ. Don't allow the insurgent of Satan to take and get into your world, get into your workplace. Be engaged and involved. Occupy the space. Let people know that for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Do they know how much you're on Christ's team as much as you're on the Green Bay team? Do they know as much as you are on the army team as much as you are on Christ's team? I see that weekend after weekend, people get loud and wild at the football games, awful quiet elsewhere in their lives, and they're Christians. That's hiding that talent that he's given you when you should be investing it. Where are you engaged in the world? What are you failing to do? What is the sin of, of disobedience? Heavenly Father, I come before you. Lord, your word says to occupy, not just to sit and be in a space, but to engage in that space, to keep Satan at bay. To engage in our world that we can keep the insurgent of the enemy out of that world, Heavenly Father. Lord, Heavenly Father, I ask that you would take and show us, motivate us, guide us. Let us not hide those talents you have given us, but take and move out. Because when we're engaging with what, what you asked us to do, then, Heavenly Father, our oil will always be full. And we'll be alert, ready for your return. Let us not let the world die not knowing you. Lord, if there will be one here that doesn't know you, but they've been impacted by this message today, I ask that you would take and encourage them. Lord, to come to you, to ask forgiveness for their sins and accept you into their life. Lord, forgive us for the many times we have taken and done the sin of omission and sin of disobedience and not engaged in our world. Let us be engaged. Let us not be afraid. Lord, let us be more afraid of not being ready when you come and call for us than afraid of what others may think about us. About us being Jesus freaks, Heavenly Father. Pull us out of our laziness and engage. Help us to engage our world. In Jesus' name. If you have not received, got, picked up the communion before you came in, I ask that you uh, take.
take and uh, raise your hand. We've got ushers that will take and make sure that you get your communion. We do have gluten-free, so if you need the gluten-free, make sure they know. I'll really tell you that since that time at my officer basic course, communion has not been the same for me. The importance of it, it's not just a little bit of bread and some juice. It is about what Christ did for us and why he did it. First Corinthians, Paul writes in the first few verses, starting from 17, he's scolding the Corinthians because they haven't seen communion the way it needs to be. It's been just a quick meal. There's those that have eaten and those who have not. And he says that it's brought disgrace and shame upon the church. So, so let me pass it on to you again. Let me take and remind you what this is about. He said, for I passed on to you what I received from the Lord himself on the night when he was betrayed. The Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which you given for you. The piece of bread is, his, is a sample, is an example of his body. It was broken. It was torn apart for us. Christ's body broken for you. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup of wine after supper saying this cup is a new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this and remember me. Christ's blood shed for you. He poured out his blood so that we can re be reconnected and have a relationship with him like it has never been, had not been since Adam and Eve. He sealed it with his blood. Our life our relationship with Christ is sealed with his blood. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes. It's a witness. So anyone who eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself. It's not for me to make a decision. It's not for somebody to your left or right. It's not up to your husband. It's not up to your wife whether you should be taking communion. It's not a sign of spiritual maturity to take communion. In fact, sometimes the greater maturity is when God says, don't do it this week. Not this time. Your heart's not in the right place. Your mind is not in the right place. You have some sin. You have some things in your life that you need to go deal with and then come back. Because it's up to you. 
For every time you eat this bread and drink the cup, you renounce the Lord's death until it comes. So anyone who eats this bread and drinks this cup, Lord unworthily, is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. It doesn't make you a bad person to say, I can't do communion. It doesn't make you a bad person. It just says that you are spiritually in a place that you need to go deal with. Go deal with it. Why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread and drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you're eating and drinking judgment upon yourself. Heavenly Father, we take a few moments before we get into receiving these elements today to examine ourselves, to look inward. And ask you to forgive us of our sins. Ask you to take and and ensure that in doing this, we are doing it in a worthy way of you, of honoring you, not in a way that puts you back on that cross. So, Lord Jesus, forgive us for any of our sins. Lord, let us receive this. honoring you. Yes, it's in Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon the elements today. We ask your blessing upon the bread and upon the cup. Lord, Heavenly Father, we ask that we would always remember and tell others about you what you did for us. That in doing so, we occupy the space for you. In Jesus' name. Christ's body broken for you. Christ's blood shed for you. thank you, Lord, that we have the ability and the freedoms to come gathered together in corporate worship. We know that many in the world don't, and we thank you for this. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for your Son coming in our life. Lord, as we go throughout our week, let us make sure that we're taking and occupying our space. We're engaging with our community around us, keeping the insurgent at bay. Lord, go with each one, those who are a little bit hesitant about their gifts. Let them not be meek, but rise up in this next week, Heavenly Father, and say, Lord, send me. I'm not going to hide my talents no more. Go with each of us throughout our week, Heavenly Father, with your anointing, your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor says, God's going to give you the opportunity. Occupy the space when He gives you and tell somebody about Christ. God bless. Have a great week. See you Wednesday.